0: And I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacetta Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for woman, by woman. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow
1: along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the Doth at www at ShevaLearningCenter.com slash daf.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We have a shorter daf today, um, daf Zion, and we're going to start a new mishnah. Very exciting. <laughs> okay. So we're starting actually right at the top of
1: daf Zion. The mishnah starts right at the top of the page. So uh, in this mishnah, we are going to uh, describe the next stage of the Saita process. We talked about the Saita coming to the base of Mekdash. We talked about her bringing her carbon. We talked about the preparation of the special water and the dirt from the base of Mekdash. Now we're going to talk about another element, which is that the Kaihen is required to write um, the curses, which the Torah says will come to the Saita if she had committed adultery on a scroll. Right? Um, and so this this Mishnah is going to um, have a three different, give us three different opinions about what exactly the Kaya needs to write on the scroll, right? Which Sukk'im precisely need to be written. So as just a preface to this Mishnah, I think it will be helpful to look at the Sukk'im first, Um the psukim, um, if you're able to, it'd be very helpful, I think, to look inside a chumash for this part. So if you have access to a chumash, it's bamidbar parakeh, psukim yud test through chaf beis. Okay, so I'll, I'll read them out loud. So the pasuk says, So it says the Kain will make this woman swear, isha, isha, and the Kain will say to the woman, "Im if you did not lie with a man but imlo shatithun if you have not strayed too tahas ahazeeh right you know to impurity from underneath your husband hinaki mi mehamaryam you will become cleansed from the these bitter waters taila these bitter waters the but should you have strayed from underneath your husband, and should you have been impure, and should you have laid with another man aside from your husband, right, so it's kind of like a dot, 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 right, it doesn't finish the sentence, but if you have, then, you know, bad things will happen. Right, and it says the kind will make the woman swear with this oath that is a curse. The Amr hakain laisha, and the kind will tell the woman, Yith uh, ha shem isa la'ala ulishwab atzai famich. Hashem will make you turn you into a curse and an oath amongst your people. The seis "As shem is yerechaek nefela says, Hashem will make your thigh fall and your stomach burst and these bitter waters will come into your stomach um to cause the the, the stomach to burst and your thigh to fall But and the woman will say amen amen okay um you know what i'll actually even even read the next pasuk pasuk Gimmel. this pasuk is not about the curse. It's the, the curses anymore. This pasuk is an instruction. The pasuk tells us pasuk parak hey, pasuk klip gimol tells us the kasev es ha'alei se'ela, and this kayan should write these curses, b'sefer in the uh, in the scroll umacha al mehamarim, and then he will he should erase them in the bitter waters. Right? Okay. So these um the first four psukim. you if you wanted to divide these psukim into two parts the first part would really be the section which is telling the woman you know what will happen if she's innocent he's saying if you're innocent you will become clean and terrible things won't happen to you and then the second two psukim are, are explicit curses telling her if you sin, this is what will happen okay all right so now that we have that background Let's dive into the Mishnah. So, if the Kayin goes to write the Megillah, where should the Kayin start from? Right? We have these four sukkim. So, our assumption is that we're going to, you know, one of these four, so some of these, the material or all this material is going to be written, which material should be written? So, the first opinion in our Mishnah, the Mishnah doesn't tell us who is talking here, but the Gemara later is going to inform us. This is Rabbi Meir's opinion, right? So Rabbi Meir, who is the anonymous voice in in this Mishnah, he says, mi v'im lai shachav, the geimer, right? So um, he's saying you should start from the middle of Pasuk Yudtes, right? You should skip the sort of, Right. You should, from the beginning, when it talks about if you haven't laid with a man, you should start from the part which is not an explicit part, which just talks about an explicit curse, which t- just tells the woman, if you are innocent, good things will happen to you. Right. Uh, but I could just teach to us each day, Right, And you should say all the way, go all the way until past the days. But the anal code that he should skip um he shouldn't. He should skip the parts of the Psukim which aren't actual curses, but they're merely, you know, dialogue tags or instructions for what the kain should do. So he shouldn't write the words, and the kain should make the woman swear. He should just say the actual words which the pesuk tells the kain to say. And, right, and he continues, and like right, and he writes, you know, also pesuk um and Right, that Hashem should the part which is actually an explicit curse, right? That this woman should become a curse. Um, right, and, you know, the part about her her stomach and her thigh, um, you know, falling. The um, And again, he doesn't say the, you know, the instruction that the woman should say amen amen, right? Because that's obviously not part of the actual curse. That's simply, you know, uh, a description of what will happen, right? So that's a Mayer's opinion. Rimeir says you write everything in these four psukim aside from the parts which are not um, part of the curse, but are just describing what the kayan or the woman should do. er, Rabbi Yassi said, and he would not, he shouldn't skip anything. He should write everything in these four psukim, even the parts which seem irrelevant um, and seem to just be talking about what the kayan and the woman should do. Rabbi Huda is our third opinion. Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, kal atmei ena Kaiset, ala yitin Hashem Eishah, la'ala ulushevua. The Gehimer, Uva hama'ya ma'arim ha'ela Right? So Rabbi Huda said, yeah, you know, he has the most minimalistic view. He said he doesn't write anything except um, Pasuk, essentially, Pasuk Aleph um, and Chafbeiz, part of Pasuk Aleph and Chafbeiz, the part which is actually an explicit curse. Right, that you will you will be a curse amongst your people, and the bitter waters will come inside you, and they'll make your stomach burst and your thigh fall. Right. I mean, and he says also you should he the you should skip the part um, which is which uh, the words which say which describe what the woman should do. The woman should say I mean, I mean. Okay. Right. So those are our three opinions. Gemara, So the Gemara wants to know what are they arguing about. Really? what what is the basis for these three different opinions? Right, um. So behind Kavam fleegi they are arguing about h- how to interpret the following pasuk. So I read this pasuk before. It's a midbar Parake, pasuk and the pasuk says, right, following this, you know, description of the curses and the blessing this woman is given. Um, the pasuk says the kasav es haalis haela hakayin, the kaihin should write these curses. Now, what we're gonna focus in on is the fact that it says ha'alais, ha'ela, right? Um, and we're gonna really analyze every single letter and word in that short phrase, right? Um, the the, the Pasuk perhaps could have said simply the of S ha'alais or ha'ala, right? Um, so adding the word ha'ela is significant um, and also adding the he is also significant, right? So mayor uh, our mayor uh, believes, "Alais, alais, mosh." So if the pasuk would have just said "alais" and the, the and the kind, you know, that 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 teaches us that you know you need to write the actual explicit curses that are mentioned in the psukim So that would be pasuk chafes and chafgamal, right? Um, alais, the rabbi's klalais, habais, mosh rabbi's. But the fact that the pasuk adds a hey and says the curses, that, hey, expands the scope um, and teaches us that we should also include the curses which are implied by the blessings, right? So that, that's pasuk yotas and khaf, um, where, right, we said those are blessings, where, where it says, you know, if you're, the woman is told, if you're innocent, nothing will happen to you, but there's an implication there, if you're guilty, Dot, 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 right? So you should also write that because even though it's a blessing, it implies a curse. Um, less so the word Aila, these, is a, is a, is a, limits the scope, right? That means, when you write the word "ela," this it means this and not something else. So the word "ela" indicates that we're excluding something. So "ela lemaute klalai shibemis It says "ela these curses to exclude all of the curses that are in Sefer Devarim and the Ta'ahata in Sefer Devarim. Um right? So it's this the word "ela" is telling us that we only need to write the 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 curses that are written in this part of the Saita, not the general curses, which we find as safe for devouring for all those who sin. Ha'ela, the word hey in front of the "ela" indicates an additional exclusion. Ha'ela l'me'utey the v'kabbalis. Ame. So Ha'ela ex- tells us that we should exclude all the instructions um, that, you know, to the Kayin, like, and the Kayin should do this, and the fact that the woman should say "ame." right? So that explains Ruby Mayer's opinion that you need to write the curse, the, the blessings, the curses, but not the instructions in the middle. Ruby see so what is, how do we explain Ruby See Again, Ruby had said that you write everything, including the instructions. So what is how does Ruby read this second? So Rulu RBIC would tell Ruby Mayer everything is exactly as you said. Um, but there's the word s, right? The it says the cut sub And because of that extra word s, um, so that word S comes to include the instructions and the fact the woman needs to accept and say amen. So, okay, so what will Rabbi Meir respond to that? Why does it Rabbi Meir also interpret the word S to include those words? So Rabbi Meir Rabbi Mayer does not believe that the word S um, that is is caused to um, Darshan, right, to derive an extra halacha. He thinks that, S in, that the Torah just writes as, you know, as part of a sentence and it's not really indicative of any special halacha. So, so what are ar opinion? ar was the most minimalist opinion. He said, you write only the curse, not the blessing, and you don't write the instructions. So, he said, <laughs> he read every single extra word or letter as an exclusionary Um Is to indicate an exclusion, that we're taking something out, right? The fact that it writes means that you should write, you know, the curses mentioned in this parasha. And the fact that it writes a hey, hey is exclusionary. It limits the scope. It excludes the curses, which are implied by the bracha. Ela, the word Eila, the word Ela excludes the curses that we find in Sefer Devarim. Haela, the word Haela excludes the instructions for what the kind should do and the acceptance of the woman. Okay, so we see that Rabbi Yehuda here um, interprets the extra haze and the word Eila interprets them all as limiting the scope of something. Now the going to go back and say, hey, wait a second. What's the difference between Rabbi Mayer or Rabbi Yehuda? Essentially what Rabbi, Rabbi Huda is saying is that whenever it says a hey, that indicates an exclusion, that we're limiting the scope to something that's like this and not something else. Um, whereas what did Rabbi Meir do? Rabbi Mayer said that the hey in front of Ha'ela, that comes to include something. But the hey in front of, I'm sorry, Scratch it. Ruby Mayer had said the hay in front of hot alice, that comes to include something. But the hay in front of hot ayla, that comes to exclude something. So we're like, what's going on with Ruby Mayer? Um, You know, does he think a hay indicates that we're including something? Or does he think a hay indicates that we're excluding something? Ruby Mayer seems very inconsistent. So, um, so that's why the Gemara asks, asks, um, my let's, Robbie Mayer, my hey, um, hi, hey, demaribe, um, hi, hey, what's the difference between the hay in front of ha'ales, which indicates an inclusion, and what's the difference between the hey, the other hey, the hay in front of ha'ela, which indicates an exclusion? So we say it's very simple. Hey, dagabe, ribuya, hey. The letter hey, which is added to a word which is um, expansive, right, indicates um, an inclusion, an expansion of the scope of a principle, right? So the word alice indicates, you know, we're expanding the scope of halakha. We're saying the client should write anything that's in the category of alais. So the word hey expands that pool even further. <laughs> hey the God gabe de, gabi, de miuta, miuta. But a hey that's in front of a word, which inherently limits the scope of something, further limits it. So the word aila indicates we're limiting the scope because it's ela this, and not something else. So a hey in front of it sort of amplifies the aila and, you know, limits the scope even further. Okay, so now we're gonna <laughs> one last thing about um Ruby Mayer. So we're told um in other contexts, right? Actually in the context of you know contracts um that Ruby Mayer believes Mikla Love A how lay slay Ruby Mayer, Love A Irby Mayer does not believe that um, if you say something in the negative, that implies the positive, right? So the original context of this is in, um, in in you know, contract law, right? If you make a condition in a contract, if you say, uh, let's say, you know, um, if you don't give me, um, if you don't give me the house, I'm not going to pay you $1,000, right? So that doesn't indicate the positive that if you do get the house you get a thousand dollars right there's a like about whether you need to a disagreement there about whether saying that the negative implies the opposite or not earlier believes no you have to say both the negative and the positive right um you need to say if x doesn't happen then i'll do y and you also have to say if x does happen i'll do z right you have to say both the negative and the positive, right? So if that's the case, (laughs) if you recall earlier, Ruby Mayer had said that ha'alais comes to include the curses which are implied because of the brachis. Now, wait a second. Ruby Mayer um, believes that if you say something, um, Ruby Mayer believes that if you say something, in, you know, either the negative or the positive, you can't imply the opposite. So therefore, how could he believe that when you write the breakfast, the blessings that implies a curse, right? Ruby Mayer doesn't believe that such implication has significance. um so we say, no, so there must it must be that Rabbi Meir is reading the words of the Pasuk of which um, which describes the blessing given to the Saita as literally giving us a curse. It's not just that it implies a curse, but there actually is a curse which is which is um, which is explicit in those words of the bracha. Um, and so what is that? Um Rubitaran Hinaki Xiv. So he says that if you in the Pasuk um, your test, right? The pasuk which describes the blessing given to the Yishtayza, it says, "If um, hinaki It says that if you have not strayed from your husband, hinaki, hinaki. We translated as "you will be cleansed from the um, from the from the bitter waters," but we may read it as "hinaki," you will become choked from the bitter waters, right? So since we may have read it that way, that means that this pasuk um, is actually, explicitly writes a curse directed at the one. Okay, now we're going to segue off into some more Agathic, um material. So darin Rabi Akiva, Rabi Akiva, Expounded, ish It's really very famous. of Kazal. he says that a man, if a man or a woman married, um the Shekhinah dwells between them. Um, if they don't marry, a a fire eats them. Right? This Rabbi Kiva is playing on the words ish and isha because the word ish and isha both have the word alef shen, ish. Fire um, and added in the word ish is the letter yud in between the aleph and the shin, and added in the word isha is the letter hey after the aleph and the shin. And yud and he are the name of Hashem. So if they merit the isha and the isha, the shchina the yud and the he dwells between them. But if not, the yud, if they don't merit the yud and the he leave, the shchina leaves them, and then what are they left with? Ish, they're left with fire.
0: Amareva. So right just up. a little note uh, yeah. on that. Um, so it's actually two two ideas, um, two sort of like more uh, kabbalistic insights into this. To this, I mean, this is a famous by Um But one um, idea from the Sfas Emes. Sfas Emes says, based on the Zayhar, actually, that um, you know, when it says fire consumes them. What does that mean? I mean, obviously, we don't mean literally that like a fire is coming down from heaven to burn them. Um, but he says actually, fire sort of has this 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 um, symbolism um, because how does fire burn fire burns by there has to be some sort of substance that's burning right in order for the fire to to last right so it's like it's, it's consuming something um and then that creates light so sort of the symbolism of fire is is sort of taking like material it's like materialistic world and refining it to create something spiritual um and he says definitely that's sort of the work that we're involved in throughout this lifetime is is this process of, of burning fires almost, right? Like almost going through this process of self-refinement. Um, and he says that that's also one, one of the reasons why Shabbos, first of all, that's like the the symbolism of the fact that it says you shouldn't, you know, light, light a fire on Shabbos. Actually, obviously that's a halakha, right? But also... Um, symbolically that means that Shabbos is sort of this time when we take a break from being involved in the world and the materialism of the world and refining the world. Um, And it's this time of almost like this pure light, right? Just being involved in spirituality and taking a break from that, that, you know, being involved in that refinement. And that's also why I never heard this before, but that's why we light, we like burn a candle by, by Havdalah, because it's sort of this time when we're, um, we're sort of bringing back that, that fire, right? We see burn a right? We're bringing back that um, kind of re-engaging in that process of refinement through that that burning of fire, so to speak. Again, um, anyway, so just like a, a different understanding of this idea of a fire will consume them, meaning that like if if they're not meritorious, meaning if they're they're sort of engaged in, in you know behavior that's inappropriate, then they're going to have to go through this process of 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 refinement um, in order to. In order to like get past that, um, so that's one idea, and then another idea, just this idea, right? Because we said that the, the name Isha and Isha both right together have the the name of Hashem Yud and Hey, right? So there's this idea in Kabbalah that the there's four, you know, Hashem's name has there's the first two letters of Hashem's name Yud and Hey, and then there's the last two letters Vav and Hey, um, and the first two letters Yud and Hey that represents something called Alma de Escasia. Alma de Escasia literally means uh, the hidden world. And the Vav and he, you know, the last letters of Shem represents the Alma Deskaya, the revealed world. And what that means, you know, is Alma Deskaya means sort of the, the, the realm, a spiritual realm that's sort of beyond what we experience. And that's the source of where miracles, miraculous things come from, right, from the sort of hidden world. And Alma Deskaya is the place where um, the natural phenomena comes from. Um, so, so he says, that this actually sort of explains why, he brings from the Ramban, and we I think we discussed this like earlier, um, you know, a while back that you know the Saita process is the only time we have like a judgment that's ruled in court based on a miracle, right? Have, like a you know a miraculous, it's a miraculous process, and he says because um, um, this the sin of the of this woman right was damaging the yud the yurhei, right the the name of Hashem which is you know, the, the source of miracles, that's why the rectification also has to come from that place. It also has to be rectified and, and sort of, um, um, purified through a miracle as well. Um, wow. Yeah. A little insight into that. (laughs) Wow. That's great. Okay, so um
1: and we're not done. We still there's still more, yet more to this um interesting right parallel between right the Isha and Isha and the Shlina. So Rava notes is that if you carry this through, me that the woman's um, part in this process is actually much more crucial, is much more um stronger than the man's. Um, right, because high mitzari bahzarif her in in her name the words, the letters Aleph and Shin are right next to each other. Whereas in the man's name, the Yud is between the Aleph and the Shin. So the the woman is, like, much more in danger. Should she, you know, act inappropriately, um, the fire will consume her <laughs> faster, so to speak. Or, you know, it, it, she's more at risk. Um, so that's an interesting... Um, Right, the natural extension of, of, of uh, RBQs, Russia. Um, also reminiscent, I think, of what we said earlier, right, back, all the way back in the beginning of the Masefta, where we talked about yeah. how, like, if a, a woman is acts inappropriately, it's like a worm and a sesame, right? And we said that it's more true for a woman than a man that somehow a, man, a woman's role in the relationship or the home has that greater power. Um and influence. Right. Um, and we should note as we did there that this obviously doesn't mean that the man is somehow immune from punishment or off the hook for his actions. It simply means that both in the positive and the negative, the woman exerts um greater influence over the relationship. <laughs> So Erva says, why did the Torah say Um to bring um like that the 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 site Saita we should bring dust, right, and put that into the water that the Saita drinks. It's because if she's meritorious right, and she turns out to be innocent, she will merit to have a son like Avramavinu, who uh, who is called Avramavinu called himself Upper for dust and ashes. But if not, she will return to her dust, right? So um, so this the the object of dust has this kind of dual implication, either the great implication of being associated with Amoravino, or the association with death. Darish rava. Another um, explanation for Rava. So he said, Because Avram Vinu said um, to Hashem and called himself dust and ashes, because of that humility, his descendants merited two mitzvahs to do with dust and ashes. Afer para, the ashes of the para eduma, the afar saita, and the dust of the saita. Right." Very interesting. Vaha'iganami after The like, Gemara says very interestingly, wait a second. There's also another mitzvah that we know has to do with dust. It's the dust that um, there's a halakha that when one shechs a chaya, so specifically an undomesticated animal, so not a cow or a sheep, but a, a wild but kosher animal, um, the shechet needs to cover the blood with dust. Right, so that's also Why wasn't that included in the, in the list? So it says, Ha'sham Ha'sher mitzvah. The requirement of Kisa Ha'sham is simply the way of um, fulfilling all the requirements for the mitzvah. Hana leka. But there's no actual benefit. <laughs> the actually explains that the Efer Para and the Afar those were mitzvahs, which are expression of Hashem's appreciation and love for the Jewish people because they benefit the Jewish people. Right. The the, um, Rashi explains that the para aduma is um, a way, an avenue for the Jewish people to become pure. It was also an atonement for the para, uh, for the eagle hazahav, the calf, which they made. And the Afar creates peace in the home between a husband and wife. And as Hadassah was saying, it's, it's literally a miracle. Hashem makes a miracle in order to create peace between husband and wife and also to alleviate any suspicion from the woman's name. Should she be, um, innocent, right? So those are two mitzvahs where you can see the benefit. Whereas offer the key source is just a technical myth requirement, but doesn't have a, it's not like an expression of special, um, you know, appreciation or love for the Jewish people.
0: And that, so same just way. a note a little bit about that. Um, like so what's what's the I guess what's the media connected media here, right? Of of Avram saying um I'm like Dustin and Ashes and then the reward being the Saita and the and the um and the Paraduma. So so I saw a few interesting ideas. One from the Besalivi, he says that Avram so when Avram is saying I'm Dustin Ashes, he's sort of expressing his humility in two ways, right? So on the one hand So dust and ashes are almost like opposite. Like dust is, I mean, or 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 earth, right? It's something which doesn't have any value or any, you know, significance or form to it as it is. But something could grow from it, like in the future, right? You know, plants can and trees and, right, Um, can all produce can grow from the ground. Um, And ashes are something which used to have some form, right? They could have used to have something which was very valuable, but now it's become ashes and now it becomes worthless, right? So it's it's past may have been Mm. valuable, but it's but now it's it's, it doesn't have value. So Avram is saying I'm both like dust and ashes. Like I'm like dust in the sense that you know I never was I never was worthy in the past, and I'm like ashes in the sense that um you know I never will be worthy in the future. And and so the reward for that is the paraduma and the saita, because what's the paraduma? The paraduma is saying Hashem's Giving us this ability to, even if we, we were tame in the past, we can now become pure for the future. Um, and sight the 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 dust of sight is the opposite, it's saying a woman, it's 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 allowing a woman to prove that in the past she was really pure, right? Like proving mm. the purity of the past. So it's a kind of the opposite of what of what um, um, Avram was saying. And then another, just another. Um, Wow. Nice idea here, about like sort of what Hashem is telling Avram, like what Hashem is sort of, you know, what's 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 sort of the the message here. So he gives this really beautiful analogy of um, like you have this 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 person who's creating this big feast, and he's inviting all his friends to this feast. Then um, he has one friend who's like this really loyal friend, and that friend is really humble. So when the friend shows up at the party, he like looks around at the table, and there's like you know the more prominent seats. There's the head of the table, and he's like, oh, I'm just gonna sit in the back. You know, I'm gonna sit on the side. I don't, I don't want to like you know, he doesn't want to take one of the front seats um, at the table. And when his, the host sees this, he's sees him sitting and like you know in the corner in the back. He, you know, he wants to show him respect, right? So he takes all the most important people at this party, at this feast, and puts them all around him, so that his seat becomes like the most, you know. Um, important seat in the room. Uh, and he says that's sort of what Hashem is doing here, that Avram is coming along and saying like, you know, he's expressing his humility and saying, oh, I'm just like dust and ashes. And Hashem is telling him like, oh, you're comparing yourself to dust and ashes. I'm going to make dust and ashes become the most, you know, um, I'm going to make dust something that's like really mm. valuable and really special. Like that's going to that's going to become a that <laughs> in the future, you know? Um, wow. Anyway. Very cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah, it's interesting. Also, Right, afer, afer, and this also this distinction between kisoi hadam and afer sites and the afer sites and the afer part, right? That like, right. These mitzvahs specifically somehow like have a more overt uh, benefit to the Jewish people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so that's another similar teaching from Rabbah right. so I mean, It's not just like a technical thing, like oh, we have the word dust, we have the word dust. You know, like it's it's more significant than that, basically. <laughs> right. Right.
1: That was yeah, definitely shed great illumination <laughs> on the, on this diresha. Um And we find another, like, similar teaching of Rabbah, an association between Avram Avinu and, and mitzvahs that are given in the future. So, Rabba, Avram Avinu, imi chut Like, because, you know, Avram Avinu told, um, he told um Tzedek, right, when he was saved, Right, the four kings and the five kings, where He basically essentially saved and his people. And so Mahisadek said, Hey, like, you know, take everything, like, take anything, you know, take all my riches, like you saved my life. And Avram said, No, I'm not gonna take anything, not even mechut via cirkunal, not even from like a string until a shoe strap. Right. So, because of that, um, because of Avram like holding back and not taking any of his any payment, um, Zachubana Lebes mitzvahs. His children merited two mitzvahs. Chutz shel tchilas The string of on the tzitzis and the strap of the tsvillin. So now the gemara is going to analyze. Hey, wait. What benefit, right? What like benefit or expression of 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 um love is expressed through these two mitzvahs? So So the the strap of the It's clear. You know what kind. What how. That would be a reward. It says that uh, regarding, you know, when wearing the tefillin, it says when the Jewish people wear tefillin, all the nations of the world will see that Hashem's name is called on you and they will fear from you. So tefillin is associated with this protection from the nations. Uh, And there's a that where b'risa ha'gadol said, right, this, Pasuk is referring to the tefillin on the head. Alla chut right? The, what about the string of tchiles? like what kind of reward is the string of tchiles? So the Tanya, we have a bracelet which explains, hi, every mayor. I remember mayor would say, we call Why was tchiles chosen, you know, from all other colors to color the string on the tzitz? right? We you know that um, is the same color as the sea. The yom, and the sea is the same color as the sky. Demle, kisil, akavid, and the sky is the same color is associated with the kisil, akavid, shen, namar, as it says. It says that the Jewish people, when they saw Hashem in the foot of Sinai, they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, there was a sapphire stone. Right? So the, Blue, that sapphire blue, is associated with Hashem's throne. Um, ucha'atam hashemayim letaher. Um, uksiv kamara evas kamara, evin sapphire. Um, de most kisei. Um, and right, and it, this this verse shows that the this pasuk shows, um, that. The Kisei the, HaKavod is compared to the entire Shemaim, as it says, it was the um, in Yechezkel, that um, over the heads of the Malachim, there was the image of a throne, which had the appearance of sapphire, right? So meaning Tichelas is a reminder of the bond between Hashem and the Jewish people, because the color blue is representative of Hashem's, of, Hash, of the Shechina um, and Hashem's Kisei HaKavod. Okay, so we're going to start a new mishnah. This mishnah is going to deal with the details of the material on which we we just talked about what we have to write. And now we're going to talk about where you can write it. What material can the Kaihan write the curses on? Right, so a mishnah tells us, You cannot write on a board, like a wooden tablet or um, a kind of paper made from grass. The Lai not from, um, a is partially processed leather, right? It's been salted and treated, but not, you know, not completely. Aladimagila, it must be on a proper scroll. Shinamar, but safer, right? The word safer um, indicates a parchment. The Anakis of Lai and he can't write with kumus or kankantum. Those are two types of inks which cannot be erased. They're like permanent ink. Not anything that can be, that makes a mark, right? And can't be erased. But rather, it must be regular ink. It says the kaya needs to erase the paper. He needs to write with an ink that is able to be erased. Okay, so now let's continue in the Gemara. Amarabha, Megillah, Saita, Shenefzmabalaila, Sula. If the Kayhain writes this scroll for the Saita at night, it's invalid. Possible. cannot be used. Maitana, why? Asya, we learn a uh, uh, halakha because of, the fact that the same word is used in two different places, Tyra, Tyra, right? It says it uses the word Tyra and Tyra. <laughs> it's called Says over here with regard to the saitha, that the kain should do for her according to all of these instructions. This entire Tyra. And it says over there this. Whereas over there, over there is in Persia's divarim where it talks about the requirement to listen to everything that the Sanhedrin says. And it says, Al pi asher yerucha, but al ha It says that you need to, you know, do everything according to the instructions that they give you and on the laws that they tell you. just like we're told that a judge. Uh, a bastion can only judge a case during the day. Af megele right? So too, the scroll of a saithabaya must be written during the day. if he wrote it out of order, like he wrote, you know, the third line before the first line, pasal, it's invalid, justive as the pasik says, es or you need to write these curses, ki exactly as they are written in the psakeb. If the Kayin writes the curses before the woman accepts the oath upon herself, it's invalid. It says the kayan first needs to make the woman swear that she understands what will happen to her if she's guilty. And then only afterwards does he write the, the scroll. If he wrote it like a letter, um what that means is that if you wrote it without ruling and the lines first, um, that's possible Safer marijuana, well, the, the public says safer, and the word safer implies that there um, you must rule the part, the lines on the parchment first. Kasbah, we'll go a little bit on to and then just to finish the thought and then we'll conclude for today psula if he wrote the curses on two separate parchments it's possible Safer write the the Pasuk says safer in the singular we not two or three five if the kayin um, writes one letter, write the first letter of the plastic and then erases it in the water and then writes the second letter and erases that in the water, that's invalid. As it says, the kaya needs to um, fulfill all of these instructions, meaning all of these instructions, all of the curses need to be written at once and then they all need to be erased at once. Um, so yeah, that is the doff for today and we'll pick up tomorrow on the topic of that.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys tomorrow.